He is risen. Amen. Amen. You know, the resurrection of Jesus would not mean much if there was no such thing as death. Let's talk about death. You ever think about death? I think about it. I think about it a lot. I think about it every time I turn on the news in the morning and I see what terrible things happened the night before. I think about it every time I have a birthday. At first, birthdays used to be exciting. Now they're at this point where it's like, oh, one year closer. Here we go. <laughs> Sometimes I think about it when I'm driving 80 miles an hour on the freeway and I think it, it doesn't take much. It's not going to take much. Just that guy over there. Uh, it could all be over. When my friends, as they age and they sometimes are dealing with sickness or cancer or whatever it is, I think about it as my children are growing up. I think about how old I was and how old my parents were when I was that age and that I'm that age. Actually, I'm older than that age now. And I go, oh, my goodness. I thought about it just out of high school. I had just finished my senior year of high school, and I took my brother over to that theme park in Anaheim. You know that one? And uh, we had just gotten off that Space Mountain ride, the classic, right? It's so good. And you get off that ride, and I felt this discomfort in my chest. And I thought, oh, that's strange. Well, let's go over to Pirates of the Caribbean. So we're walking over there, and I started noticing with each step I was taking, it felt like it was getting a little worse. Maybe I just need to sit down and rest. So we got on the ride, went through it, and I got off, and I realized something was wrong. Because that dull pain turned into a sharp pain, and now I felt it going down my left arm and starting to creep up the side of my neck. And with each step, it throbbed all the more. Hours later, staring up the ceiling, lying in that hospital bed with the vacuum tube stuck between my ribs, making that gurgling, swishing sound, I thought about death right then and there. 18 years old. Hmm. Is this the end? You know, I think it was Woody Allen who said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You feel that? You feel that? You know, the older I get, it's not so much the pain of death that I worry about. It's, it's, it's the reality of death that I'm confronted with. And the closer it gets, the more I realize my time here is limited. I thought I had so much time. Who thought they had a lot of time? I had so much time. Now I don't have that much time. I'm probably halfway done here. And what hope do I really have when all of this ends? Is anything going to matter? Will any of it matter? Do you have any real hope for uh, a meaningful existence when you come to the end of your, your 80 or so years. You know, someone said, what else do you have if you don't have hope? That was actually Michelle Obama speaking to Oprah Winfrey, her last interview as the first lady of the United States. What else do you have if you don't have hope? Well, I, I guess... You, you have the hope of the, the days you have left. You, you could go on living your life for a little while, or, or maybe you just, okay, we're just going to take one day at a time. We're just going to live in the moment. I get that. Maybe you just enjoy the time you have left, but what does any of that really matter? Eventually, you're going to come to the end of your days, just like everybody else, and then what? Darkness? Nothingness? 
And, and why bother going through any of life's motions, right? That's where the logic goes. Why bother going through any of this, doing any of the things, accumulating, preserving, protecting, passing down, any of that stuff? Why do any of it if it's all going to be for nothing in the end? If, if there's no life after death, then isn't it just kind of pointless? And I guess you could say, well, I'm going to live life for others, I'm going to live life so that I can pass on a legacy to future generations. But then you think about that and you realize, well, if these people who come after me are going to suffer the same fate as I'm going to suffer, and it's all going to go to nothingness eventually, well, then isn't it all a waste? Why not just end the whole thing right now? And you think, what? this is not good. What a tragic way to go through life. When, I, when you're young, it, it doesn't really hit you. When you're 15, when you're 16, when you're in your 20s, you've got a lot of things to look forward to. Maybe you're looking forward to getting out of school, or you're looking forward to getting that job, that dream job, or you're looking forward to getting married, having kids, buying a house. That's kind of a dream that set sail a while ago here in California. Traveling, maybe, though. And just enjoying life. Whatever it is that you enjoy, well, I'm going to enjoy that to the full. But what about when you've had all those things? And what about when you realize they, they, they weren't really what they were all cracked up to be? They're good, yeah, yeah, but they're gone, or they're just not as great as I thought they were going to be, not as satisfying as I thought they were going to be. What about when you find yourself closer to the end than to the beginning, <laughs> and the best days are in the rearview mirror? And what about when you find that maybe you've, you've really only got a short time left? You thought you had more time, but now you've got a short time. And what if that short time, well, it's not going to be great. It's, it's looking like it's going to be painful. It's looking like it's going to be filled with regret. And maybe the quality of your life is just going to deteriorate more and more and more. And right now you're thinking, boy, I'm glad I came here this morning. <laughs> Listen. The longer I live, the more I've come to realize that a life without hope, that is no life at all. That's not the life that I want, and it's not the life that you should settle for either. And that's where the good news of Jesus comes in. Thank God that because of Jesus, you and I don't have to live life without hope. <laughs> we don't have to live life grieving for lost loved ones, thinking, wow, this, this, the end is really the end, and that's all there is. We don't have to live life like uh, some type of Billie Eilish, thinking everything is just the worst, and it's all a waste, and everything is just lukewarm, watered-down coffee and sadness. We don't have to live like, life like that. Listen to 1 Thessalonians. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have passed on, that you may not grieve as those who do, who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Let's talk about Easter. The Bible tells us that Jesus came. And that though he was completely God, he lived among us in real flesh and blood. He was a real human being. And he came with a mission. And he completed that mission when he died a criminal's death. Your mission was to die a criminal's death? Yes, that was my mission, Jesus says, 
on the cross, but it didn't end there. Three days later, that mission was really complete when he rose from the dead. That's the basis for the Christian hope. That's the reason people get excited about Easter and we say, he is risen. They go, he is risen indeed, and they're all excited about it. It's the reason that those who trust in Jesus, for them, there is hope even in the face of death. Jesus himself proved it. He proved it as he showed the universe death had no power over him. And it's the reason that I hope and pray that if you're here, you do not yet know that hope that you will leave here this morning fully confident that that hope is yours. You're not here by accident. Neither am I. This is important. The Apostle Paul said, actually, this is the most important thing. He said it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I deliver to you as of first importance. This is it. This is the top-tier thing that you need to know, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, exactly like the Bible has said from the very beginning. And if you look back at the Old Testament, it points again and again and again, Jesus is going to come. You see, everyone dies. We don't like to think about it. It's an unsettling thought. It's an uncomfortable thought. But like it or not, we all fall in the footsteps of the very first human beings. We fall in the footsteps of our grandparents. We'll fall in the first footsteps of our parents. And at some point down in, in our lives, we, we kind of think that we're special. <laughs> we're not. We're just like everybody else. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 tells us, For as by, one, by a man came death. You could try to... Not think about this. You could try to ignore it. You could try to just get, off, get on with your life as if this is never going to be, and then when it comes, it'll come, and okay, we'll deal with it then. But death is the reality, and it's important that we deal with it sooner than later. You know, death wasn't always a thing. Some people try to comfort themselves saying, death is a natural part of life. I think that was actually Yoda who said that in one of the Star Wars movies. There's a character named Ron Swanson in a show called Parks and Rec, an old show. He's, he said this, death is natural. We're born, we survive as long as we're useful, and then we're killed, either by our body's natural decay or by those younger and stronger. That's rather bleak, isn't it? <laughs> Where's the hope in that? There isn't any. Death isn't natural. I don't think we'd have this aversion to it that we have if it was. Why the fear? Why the heartbreak? The sadness that comes from, from, from the thought of death? Why that eerie feeling that something is just not right about this? When I was a kid, I used to think, you know, I, I, it's, I can't think of forever Living forever and ever and ever. That's, that's, that's a weird thought. And yet at the same time, I can't imagine not being here. I can't imagine it just, everything just going away. I can't, I can't think about, there's something not right about this. The Bible tells us that death comes as a consequence. It's a punishment. It comes because of our sin, because of our disobedience against the one who created us. It's, it's the wage, it says. It's actually something that you earn. 
I earned this. I'm so proud. Do you see it? It's my death. <laughs> Look what I did. That's what the Bible says this is a result of. Life became hopeless when death sailed on in. For all of our effort, all of our attempts at doing good things, chasing after dreams, chasing after pleasure, chasing after significance and meaning, death became this, this great leveler. It just levels everything. It's the great eraser. It's the great power button that renders everything meaningless. Everything earned, everything gained, everything accomplished, it just goes away, and death wipes it all out. A very wise and successful king once said, everything's meaningless. He wrote, utterly meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work? Generations come and go. But nothing really changes. He goes on. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Everything under the sun is meaningless. Like chasing the wind. Well, this kind of sounds like Ron Swanson again. (laughs) That's depressing, isn't it? Have you ever tried chasing the wind? What a losing battle. You'll never get there. That's life without hope. That's life without Jesus. Yeah, we try to convince ourselves that there are things worth living for. We do a great job of marketing that to ourselves, don't we? This will make me happy. That will make me happy. Buy this. Earn this. Then you'll really have something. I remember when I was a kid. Someone had just passed away. I think they had taken their life. And I remember, uh, I think I was laying there in my bed, and I'm just thinking, how could anyone do this? Everyone's got something to live for. I mean, you can always order out for pizza, right? That's something. Isn't that simple-minded? Life's a lot more complicated than that, isn't it? But the longer we live the more we tend to realize that so many of the things that we have been trying to grab up for ourselves, trying to live for, they don't matter, or at least not as much as we thought, especially when we come face to the face with this idea of death and dying. What a sad state we find ourselves in. This is, pretty, this is really sad. No hope, no real purpose, nothing that really matters. Generations come Generations go, idealists are born, dreams are dreamed, but the reality is death wins every time, every time, again and again and again, without exception. That is, until Jesus. Jesus came to take away the sting of death. He came to break this unending chain. And the only way that he could do it was by going straight to the root cause. The thing that started all of this off on this trajectory way back at the beginning. And that's when humanity first decided to take a step away from the God that created them. If you've been around church people a lot, and maybe you went to Sunday school back in the day, you heard of this nasty three-letter word called sin. And sin basically boils down to a breakaway 
that every single one of us have made from the way of our maker, from the way that our maker designed us to be and to think and to live. You know, it's not unlike a lot of things, really. My car is designed to run off of one type of fuel and one type of fuel alone. And if you don't put that kind of fuel in, you're in trouble. If I put Starbucks into my tank, not going to go well. I think that's actually an electric. The brownies that I made with my younger daughter earlier this week, if we would have substituted mustard powder for cocoa powder, we wouldn't have gotten the result that we wanted. If you look at almost anything you buy these days, I buy a stuffed animal for my little girls, and, and there are labels attached to these things. Oh, I have to cut these things off because I don't want them to be, I want them to play with the, the fluffy animal, not these labels here. But they're reminding parents that this thing has a certain use. It is only to be used this way. And if you use it this way, like, pouring gasoline all over it and lighting it on fire. That is not something that's good for your child. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that the, the most complex organisms that have been specially designed in the image of their creator, who would have thought that they might also come with certain parameters, with certain instructions, with certain directions. Who would have thought? You and I were designed to know, love, and trust our maker. That's what we're designed for. That's the way that we work best. That's the way that we experience maximum satisfaction and joy and peace and hope in life. And it's the only way that we survive and thrive. The only way. But the Bible tells us that each and every one of us have decided to walk away from that. We're like sheep. Sheep are so dumb. I don't like sheep. They walk away from their creator. They walk away from their shepherd. They go their own way. The shepherd is spending 24-7 trying to take care of these dumb and dirty sheep. Go here, not there. Eat that, not this. And they just wander off. What are you guys doing? What the heck are you guys doing? Get back here. I would love to have one of those shepherd's staffs just go, get back here. We're like that, the Bible tells us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Like sheep? I'm like a sheep? Yeah. We've turned everyone to his own way. So we've all done it. All we like sheep. We're all like, and there's not one of us who, says, who can say, you know what, I'm not like sheep, I'm like a lion. Let's, let's, let's raise lions, not sheep, right? I've seen that sticker, right? We're all sheep, the Bible says. You're all sheep. You've all walked away from the creator. And not, it's not that you're, you've, you've, you're, you're just one of the herd. You've walked off on your own. You've gone your, it says, each, everyone to his own way. And so you, the way you walked away, was different than what someone else walked away. And this is one of the reasons that we can uh, look around, right? And we can say, well, at least I didn't walk away the way you walked away. <laughs> I didn't make that. I'm not dumb enough to make I'm not that dumb of a sheep. <laughs> Boy, we do that, don't we? And yet we fail to realize time and time again as we look around, as we compare ourselves to others, that walking away 
no matter which way is your flavor of walking away, you've still walked away. You know what the Bible says? It says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Are you one of those people, just like me, who sometimes looks down, we look down our noses on other people? <laughs> we shouldn't do that. Because the reality is, if they've walked away, I've walked away. How many lies does it take to make you a liar? Just one. How many times do you have to steal something to be a thief? Just one. That puts me in that category. How many times do you cheat on your spouse before you become an adulterer? We could go on and on, couldn't we? The answer is simple. It's just one, one time. And so we've all done it. We are all guilty. And if we're all guilty, then we've all contributed to this cycle that we find ourselves in, this cycle of death. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, her own desire. Then desire, when it, is, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Oh, there's a process here that the Bible is telling us about. And guess what the result is? This, and when sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. How are you going to break that cycle? How do you break that cycle? How do you make that happen? If we've all wandered away from, from, from God, if we've all fallen into a ditch, then who's going to pull us out and bring us back to our shepherd? If, if we all have a debt that we owe and we're incapable of paying it ourselves, who's going to step in and make things right? If we've all sinned and rightly deserve to die and be cut off with, from our maker forever, then who can remove our guilt and bridge our way back to God? You can't do it. It cannot be done. But that's where Jesus comes in. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Happy thought? Oh, Christianity is such a lovey-dovey religion. Oh, this is for the weak-minded. This is for, you know, those, those people with wishful thinking. No, 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 no. Christianity is brutal. The debt that was paid, the price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made is brutal. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That doesn't leave us a bunch of options, does it? People like to say, well, you know, all roads lead to God, and Christianity is just like other religion. Now Christianity is actually not like other, other, any other religion. In fact, it's not a religion. This is about you looking to a Savior who is the only, one and only exclusive way for you to be made right with your Creator. And the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through 
me. Well, why you, Jesus? Okay, why are you better than all these other people out there that I could look to? What makes you so special? Why are you the only way to get back to God? Because the only way for these crimes, these wrongs, these sins that have been committed is for someone who is perfect to pay the ultimate price. See, God made it very clear before Jesus came that a life for a life is the way it works. That's the way it works. You walk away from God, will you throw away the life that he gave you? You think you're still living, you threw it away. It's gone. Guess what? It's going to take a life to make you right with God. But guess what? It's not your life. It's not your life that's going to do it. You can't lay down your life and say, okay, God, now, now bring me back. No, 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 no. You've already thrown that one away. You can't give your life to save your life. It says the wages of sin is death. This is what you've earned, and you are going to get it. You've got nothing left to give. All your chips have been spent. The only way for your life to be saved, the only way for you to be brought back, to be rescued out of this chain cycle of death that you deserve is for someone who hasn't thrown away their life. Someone who hasn't already turned away from God to give their life for you. It's an exchange. It's a, it's a substitution game that we're talking about here. You know, in the Old Testament, God told Moses, grab a bunch of eggs and go hide them in the garden. We'll have the kids. No. He told <laughs> In the Old Testament, God made this idea very, very clear, very, very clear that sin had to be paid for. A sacrifice had to be made. And you don't just take any animal, the ones you want to get rid of or the ones that really look good for dinner. No, no, no. You, you take the best one, the most precious one, the one that you could sell for the most amount of money. And the priest would take this animal and he would lay his hands on the head of that animal to be sacrificed, symbolizing the transference of sins, of guilt, all of the guilt of the people onto this animal before it was going to be sacrificed. Do you see the substitution thing going on here? And at the same time, making it very, very clear, hands are on this animal. This is what we're relying on. This is what we're looking to. Because it, it, it can't be us. It's, it's got to be something else. And a life has to be given. A life, a precious life has to be given for, for our sake. They needed a substitute. Well, the Bible later explains that this, this animal sacrifice thing, it was never really meant to accomplish what it pointed to. It was a picture. It would point to the actual sacrifice that would be made someday, the perfect sacrifice that would be made. And that sacrifice was made by the perfect one, by Jesus no other human being was able to do this. Not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not the prophet Muhammad. No, no other holy person could do this. Why? Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. 
and if all have sinned, then no one is qualified to do this. No one can do it. They're all guilty themselves. They've all got their own lives to pay for. They've got to pay for their own sin, pay their own debts. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus is able to get the job done because Jesus had no sin of his own. He, he's God himself taking on human form, living as an actual human being, so he's able to step in and be a substitute for actual human beings, and he does that for the sole purpose, not of calling a bunch of people for a, for a rally meeting, not of getting everyone excited and on board, not about you know, having this, this great religious thing going on here. No, no, no. He came so that he might be the substitute and die in their place. He stands in the gap. The Bible says, for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin. To be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you something. What you and I need is not to make more money. That's not what we need. It might be nice, but we don't need that, first and foremost. What you and I need is not some uh, hidden secret remedy for all of our ailments. Boy, we're looking for them, aren't we? They're out there somewhere. We don't need to find a better politician to go into office. We don't need to bet another hit of this drug or that drug or to have our heads cryogenically frozen in some scientific experiment so that later on when they discover the secret to, to people living forever, they can unfreeze us and attach us to some type of robot thing. No, and we don't need to make the best use of our lives here. Just live lives well. Live what you got as well as you possibly can. Your best life now. Know what we need, my friends, is Jesus. We need Jesus. We need the one who never turned away from God, who perfectly measured up to his plan, his design, and who courageously and lovingly lived 33 years for the purpose of dying on a cross, to die in our place. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what I do. Nothing more heroic than that. It was on the cross that Jesus stared death right in the face and took it to task. It was on the cross that Jesus took our sin and our guilt, my sin, my guilt, my shame, the th all the things that made me, the things that make you fully deserving of death, and he takes it upon himself. And there he pays for it with his own life. And in a very real and tangible way, he becomes our substitute. The Bible tells us they took him to a hillside outside the city, the place of the skull. That's where they lay him down on wooden beams, drive those nails into his wrists, nails that were really more like railroad spikes into his wrists and to his feet. And after several hours of hanging on the cross, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? He knew full well why God had turned his face from Jesus. In that moment, Jesus is experiencing the horror of what each and every one of us should experience. The agony 
of being completely separated from our maker because of our sin. He takes our sin upon himself and endures it, the full punishment that we deserve. And it was also on the cross that he made it very, very clear what was being accomplished for you and for me. As he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people who were crucifying Jesus that day, I'm not sure that they fully understood what was going on. I'm not sure they fully understood what they were doing. Clearly, Jesus says they don't know what they're doing. In the same way as you and I don't fully realize, we aren't fully aware of what we are doing as we make the choices that we make and as we turn from God to go our own way. If we realized it, I don't think we would ever do it. Of course, though, whether we're aware of it or not, we're guilty all the same. But Jesus, as he dies, he knows full well what he was doing. He's dying in our place condemned in our place that we might be washed clean and forgiven. Do you know that forgiveness? Do you know that forgiveness? Have your sins been forgiven? You can know. Confess your need for a Savior. Trust in Jesus. It's not that complicated. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very, very clear. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You might be saved. You will be saved. This forgiveness, it doesn't come through going any, through any sort of, of, of ritual or earning, earning points to get a, another patch on your merit badge thing kind of it, it, it couldn't. You can't earn it because you have no bargaining chips left. Your life is forfeit. You gave it up. It's only by renouncing the old life of going your own way and trusting in yourself to trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's it. And someone says, okay, well, uh, how does that fix the death problem? Let's connect the dots here. Well, the sun was peeking up over the horizon. Early morning hours, the third day after Jesus had died, and some women were making their way to the place where Jesus had been entombed. And they're coming simply to anoint his body with some spices. This is actually just completing the whole burial uh, exercise. They couldn't complete it uh, when Jesus died because it was the, the Sabbath and they had to shut everything down very quickly. But here they come to finish the job. And Luke 24 tells us when they arrived, things were not as they were supposed to be. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you? While well, he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise, and everything must have become clear. I get it. This is how he fixes the death problem. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, dies for your sin, for my sins, 
three days later, rises from the dead, proving death has no power over him. He accomplished what he set out to accomplish. The way had been made for the sin problem, the start of this whole death thing off, to be put away. And by trusting in Jesus, you and I supernaturally have our old life crucified with Jesus on that cross. It's put to death. It no longer has any power, any constraints on you. And at the same time, just as Jesus rises from the grave, so his life is now given to us that we might live and, 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 and not just be right with God and not just be uh, living right now, but live forever in heaven with him. That's the promise that he gave to that sinner who hung there on the cross with him, the criminal on the cross. Remember me, Jesus. Well, okay, can you get down and can you go to church for a little while and read the Bible and, and uh, you know, do a few nice things for some people and then we'll talk? No, no, no. I can't do anything right now. I, 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 remember me. Truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. But Jesus, I can't give you any money. No, no, no. Today, look at me. You're looking at me? We're going. That's where we're going. Because I'm doing it all. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Oh, Christians, hold on to that one. He said in verse 8, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because Jesus himself rose from the grave, you and I can have rock-solid confidence that he accomplished his mission and that we will also rise with him because of jesus death does not have to be the end for us first corinthians 15 54 says death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory death where is your sting the sting of death is sin the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus this is the hope of Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. You and I don't have to go through a life miserable and guilt-laden and hopeless and alone. When you're reminded that your time on this earth is limited, maybe it's very limited, you don't have to be filled with fear or discouragement or loss. No, if your hope is in Jesus, that's all the hope that you need. This is the message of Easter. It's, not, it's, it's the hope that changes everything. It's the hope that reminds you that you have a future. Maybe you look back on your life and you see a succession of train wrecks. And you look back and, and, and you think, you know, I would have done this a lot differently if I could go back and do it again. That criminal on the cross, oh, what a mess he must have looked back on. But because of Jesus, he had a future, an eternal 
future that would make his old past look like nothing, a vapor. <laughs> Your life isn't perfect. And mine is not perfect. I have regrets. You have regrets. You've made mistakes. But guess what? They've all been taken care of on the cross. There's no condemnation for you, the Bible says, because Christ was condemned for you. And what's more, you have life right now. And your life right now does not have to be without meaning. There are a lot of people out there searching for meaning. Those in Christ have it. You've left futility in the dust. And beginning at the cross, you begin a new life, living in the life of your Savior. It's a new life where now, as before, you were cut off from your maker. Now you are living in harmony with your maker. You're getting to know the one you are preparing to spend a spectacular future with in heaven. And you're making an eternal difference Think of it, you can make an eternal difference in the lives of others as you point them to Jesus, just like you have been pointed to. Does that sound like a good thing? It's the best thing. This is the best thing. And it's all because of what Jesus has done in laying down his life in our place. Let me encourage you as strongly as I can this morning. Maybe you've been a religious person. Maybe you've been in and out of church your whole life. Maybe you even know the Bible backwards and forwards. But if you have not trusted in Jesus and said, Lord, the direction that I was going is not the right direction. I need to turn around. I need to turn back around. And maybe you're here today and you grew up learning this stuff. Maybe you even prayed a prayer one day, back in the day. Maybe you have parents that, that, that know Jesus and, and you kind of felt like you were a Christian because they were Christians and all of this. No, 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 the time is now for you, God is saying, this is the time for you to come to me. And you say, well, I don't understand it all. I, I, don't, I don't know if I got it all fair. That's okay. All you need to understand, like that thief on the cross, that I need help. And Jesus is that help. Today's the day. Recognize your need for God's forgiveness and admit there's nothing you can do to save yourself and trust that Jesus took your place on that cross. And thank God for the life he's given you. Would you pray with me? He is risen. And you can be too. Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning. The message is so simple. And yet, Lord, we tend to complicate things. We tend to let our our emotions get in the way of us, and we hear voices all around us telling us this or that, and it seems like they're having a good time, and think they got to figure it out, and so we run after them, and we're faced disappointment after disappointment. Lord, turn our hearts to Jesus this morning, and may we be in awe of the work that he accomplished on that cross. May we realize, Lord, this is not about religion. This is not about being nice. This is not about any of the things that other people want to make this out to be. This is about life and death. This is about heaven and hell. This is about me coming before the Savior of the world and saying, I got nothing to give. Make me yours. Lord, we look to you today. 
and pray these things in Jesus' name.